Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Hey everybody, welcome back to Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast, episode 46 today. We're going to take a look at long-term rental tax reporting. So those LTRs, for you REIs, we love our acronyms here. LTR, long-term rental, REIs, real estate investors. So whether you're new to the game or you've been in it for a while, you probably take something from this episode that Chris and myself are going to run through here shortly. So before that, let's take a moment, thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Reps Tracker. Are you a real estate investor who is bogged down with a huge tax burden? Real estate investing can open the door to powerful tax benefits. Reps Tracker can streamline the process of accelerating these tax benefits. To take advantage of a special TTF community discount, go to www.repstracker.com slash affiliate slash teaching tax flow and use the code IFG. You can look in our show notes or email us at hello at teachingtaxflow.com. Welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, everybody. I am John Trapolsky, one of the co-hosts here. As always, my other smarter, better-looking co-host, Chris Pacquiro, is here with me. How are you, man? I am awesome. How are you doing today, Johnny T? I'm doing great. And, you know, we, we just got back from another conference, as always. I love these things. I love the aftermath of them, and I love being, being there, obviously. And, you know, I got asked a lot. You know, we banter back and forth. It was, it was, by the way, it was great to see people there that said, hey, I recognize your voices. You guys must be on that podcast. They didn't have anything bad to say, or at least didn't say it to our face. So I appreciate you guys that did not do that. But, you know, we were trying to figure out how long we've known each other for, and it's about 23, 24 years-ish. So, you know, I'm going to throw out a, a corny dad joke here, right? So, Chris, whether you like it or not, we're in a long-term relationship. So the episode today is long-term Rental properties. Wow. So you like that I, one, I'm huh? Impressed. I like it. And it's yeah, it has been fun because we've had we went to a national conference uh for tax professionals, and we went to a the state of Michigan's Michigan Association of CPA Small Firm Practitioner Conference. And John, I gotta give you credit. In both conferences, at both conferences, people people came up to me and said, Where's all that other guy's really he's I like him too. He's he's good. And I'm like He's actually here because we, um, you know, you do a lot of, we do a lot of due diligence. We, we have a, another podcast we do specifically for tax professionals called the Mr. R show. Um, and, and it's got, it's much different than this because it's, it has to comply and, and it's almost an hour long for continuing education, but we, um, we're always looking for other guests and, and just really immersing ourselves in our industry. So, yeah, it was great, and you know, you're you're a legend in the accounting community. Oh man, oh man, that's I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Which, by the way, out of everybody we've met, nobody's wearing a pocket protector. Let's just be clear <laughs> about that. So, if anybody thinks that accountants are all dorks, it is not the case. It is not the case. So, let's talk about these long-term rental properties, right? So, let's for those of you that aren't familiar with it, or maybe you're very familiar with it, you don't even really know the definition you've been in this long-term relationship so long. Chris, let's start with that. So let's define by IRS standards or IRS definitions what an LTR or a long-term rental property is. Well, the thing to remember when it comes to determining if you have a short-term rental or long-term rental is what is the tenant stay look like? 
Now, those of you listening that are in the real estate world or REIs, we know that there's something called a midterm rental, which is typically a furnished property renting from one month to over one month, but less than a year. A lot of times you'll have traveling nurses or um, people, people unfortunately there with the, with the loved one uh, uh, for a hospital stay or some treatment. Uh, but there's no such thing as like a midterm rental in the tax code. So this is, get your, get your IRS publications out, go to 527 if you want to follow along in your textbooks. Um, or you can make it be real easy. Just log into Teaching Tax Flow and watch, watch our mini lesson on this, um, which is for complimentary as a, as a basic uh, person, basic subscriber. But to answer your question, under IRS Publication 527, a long-term rental property has two attributes. And I'm quoting, any dwelling where rental income is paid for the use or occupation of property and does not meet the short-term rental definition under Treasury Regulation Section 469, 1TE3. Sounds like a Star Wars character, huh? C3, it does, actually. And so the sign is, if you, have a rental, yeah, if, if you have a dwelling, doesn't have to be a home. Could be a condominium. It could be a container that people live in. It could be a tent. It could be a camper. If it's a dwelling where rental income is paid for the use or occupation of the property... And it does not meet the short-term rental property definition um, under the uh, Treasury Regulation Section 469. And so in comparison to, so so STRs is another term that we throw out there a good bit. So short-term rentals. So obviously we're talking about long-terms, but for comparison purposes, what defines a short-term? Right. A short-term rental is a property that meets one of two qualifications. The first qualification in the much more prominent one, I'd say 98% of the time, the average tenant stay is seven days or less. So a lot of times those are referred to as vacation rental properties. Um, so seven days or less average stay is a short-term rental property. Now that, and that's a, for a calendar year. So sometimes you might have a short-term rental property, but for a given tax year, it's not considered a short-term rental property. I'll give you a personal example. One of our properties in Panama City Beach, Florida, uh, we've we've used it as a short-term rental property. Short tenant stays. Um, there, there's some there's some tax advantages to that that go beyond the scope of this particular podcast, but definitely jump into our community to ask about those. And um, but we we had an offer uh, where someone wanted to rent it all of uh, February and all of March. And um, my wife and I thought about it and we said, sure, yeah, we'll do that. <clears throat> now, even though the property, its intent is that it's a short-term rental property, for the year of 2024, which is when the book, the bookings already occurred, it's good, not going to be a short-term rental property because I'm not going to meet the average tenant stay of seven days or less. I'm going to be a long-term rental property that year. And that's something to remember that the classification of property is a year-by-year -year, um, window. So either your average tenant stay is seven days or less, or the average tenant stay is 30 days or less and significant personal services are provided. Now, leave it to the IRS to make things muddy, right? You might be saying, what's a significant personal service? The IRS defines that as either cleaning, changing linens, transportation, meals, tours, outings. Bottom line are hotel-like services. In general, you're going to have a you're going to meet that 30 day or less 
qualification for the short-term rental and have significant personal services if you run an Airbnb. If you, or let's say you own a, um, you know, we've got, I, I have a friend of mine that I just talked to, lives down in Destin, Florida. They're looking at a piece of property where they build their primary residence and they would build six, build six cabins on the property for vacation rentals. Uh, this is going to be a, the reason they're doing it is they want to focus on um, having clergy or, or kind of almost like a religious retreat, regardless of the reason. Those units, the person might stay more than a week, right? Maybe they're down there for 21 days, 14 days for uh, to help out. But since they'd be providing significant services, meaning they're the ones actually doing the changing the linens, they're the ones cooking meals for the people. They're the ones that are checking people in. Um, then they would qualify for short-term rental under that 30-day rule. But that's very rare when you look at all of the short-term rental properties out there. If two percent of them meet that, that's that's high. So, if and you're really one of those, you're a long-term rental property. In most rental properties are long-term rental properties. And then reeling back into the long-term side, right? So you, you hit a couple of really good points there that I I really want to we'll say bring them back to the bring them back to the forefront or, or bring them up to speed. So one of them is being that you know you did mention Airbnb and and Verbo, right? Like there there are a lot of rentals on there that are and I've seen some that really allow a minimum stay of seven days or thirty days. Um, so it's really their choosing by 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 their choosing. They, for whatever reasons, want to more like or more or less, I should say, be considered a long term. Again, for whatever reasons, maybe it's just for the ease of their lives, or maybe they only have a month in there they want to gone for. But then also too, right? Somebody can, I'm going to imagine, kind of bounce back and forth. Even so, say you have a property, um, and and I'm I'm asking this. I know the answer because Chris, as you know, and actually my first, uh primary residence. It was a condo, right? So I lived in it and ended up moving out of it. It's funny that I, I just actually did a podcast on this with one of our partners um, out in California. I was not in California at the time, um, but it, we had a great a great conversation around this about how really that property morphs into multiple things, right? So it started off as my residence, turned into a short-term rental on Airbnb, long story up. Maybe if it comes out at the same time, I'll put a link to that podcast in this one if you guys want to listen to it. It's a crazy story. Um, but then went to a long-term then went back to a short term and then we sold it. So it was a very, uh, let's call it a dynamic piece of re piece of real estate. It was an unintentional investment to, to add to the mix. Uh, but is that, do you see that kind of being the case a lot or is that really just a, a rarity that something kind of transforms year to year and bounces between those, between a long term and a short term? Yeah. In, I mean, in general, there, there could be several reasons why something bounces between long and short. One could just be government regulation. You know, sometimes there's the STR, what we call short-term rental rules change, uh, the licensing changes. Sometimes you have people running a short-term rental that that uh, is against the condo association and, and or the homeowners association, and you, and you get nabbed, quite frankly. Um, so there's some there's that there. So there's the there's the the kind of like the you know the, I must put it in the inside. Then you also have the something to consider that in depending on what state you live in um there you've got to consider squatters rights right if, if you have someone in your property for a certain amount of time they might not and again this would be a great question uh when we uh, get jeff hampton from str law guys back on the podcast talk about that 
Uh, but but it, you know, can you evict somebody? The tax planning side can work real well. There's something called the short-term rental loophole, which we're we're going to be touching on. And again, not not to keep talking about our defeating taxes private Facebook group or all these other these other spots um, to get the information from us, but we're going to be touching on those. So you've got the regulatory, I would say, re reasons. You've got the uh, risk mitigation reasons. You might bounce back and forth. And like you mentioned, you've got the time constraint reasons. Like running a short-term rental property is 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 time consuming. And, um, and then you also have the overall, um, you, you've got to look at the financial thing. What makes sense financially, you know, especially like ours, one of the houses in Panama city beach, I could see us running it to snowbirds, especially if we have a great experience. We happen to know the people, at least one of the people running it, going down there personally, a lot of times snowbirds like to go to the same home and property. And it's a, for us, um, when you net it out. You have to look at the occupancy percentage on those short-term rentals. Um, we've already taken advantage of a lot of those tax benefits, so it could be some one. It could be part of your short-term rental, part of your long-term rental. In general, though, from an IRS perspective, it's going to be a long-term rental property. And then a couple of questions for you. It's almost a twofold, but we can answer them one at a time. So, say somebody was looking to get into real estate investing. Okay, like right out of the gate, they've never done it before. They have. Let's not even say they have the savings. Say they're using, uh, was it OPM, they call it? Other people's money <laughs> for investment purposes. Yeah. Um, so let's let's consider that you're talking to somebody that just came up to you, say, at a conference and said, hey, Chris, glad I caught you here in the hallway. I, you're the real estate guy I heard. Um, I want to get into it. What should I do? Would you lead them, again, from a tax perspective, would you lead them down the long-term rental path maybe for a first investment opportunity? Or would you say, hey, maybe look at short term. And, and as you mentioned too, I mean, there's a lot of things involved. I mean, there's a lot more, um, I won't say long-term commitment, but there's a, a lot more involvement, I should say, in the short term, unless you are your property management company, whole other whole thing. So what would you guide them, either long-term or short-term as it comes to taxes? But then also too, the second part of that question would be, you know, as somebody builds a portfolio, right? So say they have a couple long-terms or have a couple short-term rentals, would you suggest to them that they stay with whatever track they're going on, whether it's all long terms or stay within shorts or, or how does that blend together? Um, base, I mean, is it a 50, 50 split? Say, Hey, you have fit more than 50% of your properties is this, or is it property by property as far as for the, for the IRS? Right. So those two questions. Right. So I'm going to take away the tax part of it because there are ta more tax benefits immediately for short-term rentals. But there's definitely advantages to long-term rentals as well. So to strip away the tax benefit, um, I would say that you have to look at their experience, their opportunity costs, how much time they could put into something. And it would come down, just like we talked about in teaching tax flow, diagnose the client, someone's tax situation using marginal tax rate, prescribe the tax uh, strategy. So uh, my advice to someone would be, well, what's your goal? How much time do you have to put into this? How much how much resources do you have to put into this? How bankable are you? You know, because a lot of times the, it's a catch-22 because to expand your portfolio, you'll need to apply for loans. There's a limited amount of uh, Fannie and Freddie loans that you can take out on yourself. I believe it's 10. I can't remember. Brenna Carls has helped us out a ton from the mortgage shop on understanding some of those rules. Uh, but under, because it'd be like, yeah, well, I'd love to quit my job. I'm single and, and buy a bunch of rental properties. Well, 
problem is, if you don't have employment, then you're not going to get financed on these properties. So uh, it would come down to how much, you know, what their goal is. Is this a long-term hold? Is this a, uh, what, what's, you know, short, is it, a, is it something you're going to manage? Is it how much cash do you have? What's your expectation? Because a lot of times when you're dealing with a short-term rental property, you've got to uh, furnish it, right? And, and that get, that's something I don't, you can't really finance that. So that's going to be coming out of your pocket. Now, some of them you do buy furnished. We've purchased short-term rentals furnished. And um, one of them was turnkey. One of them was, two of them had to be gutted pretty much. And 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 really, re well, one was a, a pretty big, pretty big lipstick. Another one was a full gut job. So it just depends on the, on the situation. You know, so obviously if it's your first rental property, um, you probably want to, you know, you probably want to take it easy and maybe be a little bit more hands off. So what I'm seeing is people, people jumping into maybe a, a property that they're, they're, you know, it depends on what they're looking for, but they're, they might be a little more hands off. So it's pretty you know, much that, that kind of ties into, oh, I'm sorry. No, so, so basically what you're saying there is obviously the bankability side of it, but also what their comfort level is, right? Absolutely. That's, that's very important. And, you know, so one thing, like I'll give you an example. One, one thing that gets confusing to people and we're going to be, we talk about this in the, in the, in the defeating taxes group is that what happens if I convert my primary residence? I move, uh, I've got a low interest rate. I really don't need to sell the property. Should I convert it to a rental property? And then, and then a lot of times, you know, there's some pluses and minuses to that. Um, although, you know, sometimes there might be an emotional attachment to that property. Uh, and that, that happens also with, with these short-term rentals. But one of the things that, that well, I want to talk about is where to report this long-term rental. Uh, not only, so, so if you're listening to this and you're, you purchased your first rental property or, or you're not sure how you report this activity on your tax return, um, you're not alone. You know, there are tax professionals out there that have been in business for a long time uh, that have never had a client with a rental property. And we get them, you know, in our private consulting practice, like, well, what am I doing with this thing? So I want to run through, there's a great guidance chart that's in the teaching tax flow uh, uh uh, course on this subject, but I want to just talk through that with, with, with the, the listeners because to, how you own the property really affects how you report it on your tax return. So, um, I'm going to start off say own the you. property. Like, like we hear a lot of, or anybody that's ever looked for financing for a property, you might hear, oh, we, we allow you to close in an LLC. So like, that's an example of one. So it's, it's the dynamic of that. So walk us through a couple of those, maybe as far as for how somebody could somebody could quote unquote or not quote unquote. Yeah, I'll walk you through report. all of them, Johnny T, because it's going to be let's pretty straightforward. So if you own the property personally, let's say you're let's assume you're just a single person, or you could be you could be married. Um, if you own a long term rental property personally, you're just you're going to report it on what's called a Schedule E. I'm sure we'll put a link in the show notes. One of John's favorite terms, and that Schedule E just gets attached to your personal tax return. There's no separate uh, form to file. It's just a separate schedule that gets attached to your personal tax return. And if you remember the the episode about all not all income is taxed the same, the nice part about long-term rental income is you're paying tax on your net income after 
your depreciation deduction, make sure you're taking the depreciation deduction and it's not subject to self-employment tax. So it's tax only and your marginal tax rate. And most of the time, you don't even have taxable income from this. One of the rules of teaching tax flow, cash flow does not equal tax flow. So you might have a positive cash flow of some $500 and not even pay tax on that. So that's if you own it personally, you're going to put it on a schedule E. If you're a single member LLC, John, what's a single member LLC? A disregarded entity. You know what? You didn't know that at the beginning of this podcast about a year ago, did you? I didn't. It's uh, it's kind of like um, like on osmosis. Like you just kind of learn. <laughs> so for single member LLC, same reporting as owned personally. Schedule E, slap it on your personal tax return. If you are a multi-member LLC or a partnership, that's a, in that case, if the, the, the rental property is owned by a multi-member LLC or a partnership, you will attach a form 8825 to your annual form 1065. So multi-member LLC and partnerships file a partnership tax return. That partnership tax return issues a K-1 to all of its owners or members. And the actual entity itself pays no income tax on the federal level. You would, as a, if you own a portion of that LLC, you would report that in your personal return. Cool. Same thing. Pay tax on your net income, depreciation deduction, and you're not paying self-employment tax on it. So that form 8825 is, goes on your 1065 or partnership tax return. Remember, if you buy property in a multi-member LLC or in a partnership, there will be significant additional tax reporting because you're going to have to file that partnership tax return. Now, I'm going to stay on that Form 8825. If you have the gall to own a property in an S-corporation, one of uh, my my friends that's a uh, very prominent real estate uh, tax professional in the real estate world, she has a she's got a t-shirt. I think it says something like never don't talk to me if you've put your property in an S Corp or something really funny and witty that I I'm she sent me the link. I'm gonna order it some off Etsy or something. But if you for some reason have a property, a rental property, long-term rental property in an S Corp, you still you also file that form 8825 that goes on your S Corporation tax return. And the S Corp you know issues you a K1. And the bottom line is, it's the it's you know we know from our S corporation podcast that it's a hybrid entity. The S corp does not pay tax on that property, and and you get the K one. So multi member LLC partnership S corp, you're gonna fill out, fill out a form eighty eight twenty five, very similar to Schedule E. Make sure you take the depreciation deduction and attach that to your partnership tax return. And John, I'm gonna wrap the show up with C corp. Very rare that it makes sense to own a long-term rental property in a C-corporation. Um, now, C-corps do not differentiate between passive income and and, and uh, active income. So at a C-corporation, you're simply going to slap your rental income on line six of the C-corp, and then whatever deductions you have, you're going to take those deductions between lines 12 and 26. So if you have mortgage or just property taxes, be sure to take depreciation. Um, a lot of times with a C-corporation, C-Corps typically are more apt to rent out equipment, not rental proper, like, like real estate. But it is, there are rare circumstances where a C-Corporation would own a long-term rental property. And if that's the case, all of that gets reported on a Form 1120 
which is a corporate tax return. You And if you are the only owner of a C-Corp and you have rental income, you would not pay any tax personally on that. The corporation itself would pay tax on the net income if there was any. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great information. Thank you, everybody, for committing a short period of time to a long-term relationship. So we we appreciate you. Um, as promised, you, we'll drop those links in here for you for a quick reference. You can go directly to these documents. Um, it'll make life a little bit easier. Maybe help you navigate through some questions you may have. As always, you have those questions, shoot them over. We're happy to answer them for you. And as always, we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Thank you, as always, for joining us here on the podcast. Hopefully this was a great topic, as we always like to hope they all are. Um, but even if you were familiar with this topic, hopefully you learned something. Um, for those LTRs, REIs, again, you know, we love our acronyms. Um, but hopefully you got some good information from here. I mean, anybody that's been doing this for a while, you kind of get comfortable with maybe the way you've done things a little bit. But there may be some better ways to do it. I'm not saying anything's done the wrong way, but there might be some other opportunities out there. So, again, this is just kind of our basic topic or a basic discussion around this. Obviously, there's tons of strategies that real estate investors can take advantage of, whether it's on the short-term rental side or the long-term rental side. I feel like in this episode, we did a pretty good job of comparing the two of them um, if you're not familiar with them. So, as always, look at the show notes below. We put some resource links in there for you. Click on those, check them out, send us any questions you have. We would love to hear them. So, again, as I said last episode, hang tight. Great topics coming down the pipeline. We'll see you soon. This does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.